So tonight we are going to study Joshua chapter 8, Establishing God's Law. I'm going to look at the passage under three headings. Number one, repent and move on. Number two, no room for self-reliance. And number three, fulfilling God's plan. I wonder if you have ever been caught red-handed. When I was about 12 years old, I was at a Crescent summer camp in Limerick. Some of you, I'm sure, were there as well. Our dear brother and friend, Stanley Duncan, who is now in heaven, was the number one leader at the camp. On one of the afternoons, the boys decided to have an unauthorised water fight. There were water balloons and water pistols, but my weapons were depleted. So I grabbed a large plastic bin and filled it with water. I went out onto the fire escape on the second floor and proceeded to hurl water over the edge just as Stan came round the corner. Not only did I throw the water, but I followed through, dropping the plastic bin from on high and smashing it into pieces. I received a well-deserved telling off from Stan and quickly apologised for my behaviour. I had been caught red-handed. One of the many things I admired about Stanley was that the event was never brought up again. It had been dealt with. He moved on. The episode was in the past. And I enjoyed a great week at camp. Last week, Chris Wright taught us from Joshua chapter 7, that terrible episode when the sin of Achan was exposed. Sin that brought tragic consequences on the people of Israel as they were defeated by the men of Ai, leaving widows and bereaved families within their group. This was no simple act of Achan getting caught red-handed with the plunder. This was an act of deliberate rebellion against God and his commands. He had stolen the things that were to be totally devoted to God. Achan and his family were severely judged as they were stoned to death by all the people of Israel at the Valley of Achor. But this event also exposed Israel's disobedience and unfaithfulness to God. The Israelites had experienced God's abundant blessings under the leadership of Joshua as they began the process of entering their inheritance. They had passed through the river of Jordan and entered the promised land. They re-established the ceremony of circumcision and celebrated the Passover once again. They had witnessed God's supernatural power as Jericho was utterly defeated and the barrier of that closed up city was removed. But through the sin of Achan and their own self-reliance, they had turned away from God. As they approached the second city of Ai, they didn't inquire of God. They didn't consider the Ark of the Covenant. They just did things in their own way and in their own strength. In the middle of chapter 7, God gave the people this solemn warning. I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. Thankfully, Joshua and his people did repent and did follow God's commands. Their sinful rebellion was dealt with ruthlessly and the Israelites experienced God's grace and blessing once again. 
We finished last week with these words from chapter 7. Then the Lord turned from his burning anger. And chapter 8 begins, And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear and do not be dismayed. Do not fear and do not be dismayed. Here we have echoes of Joshua 1 verse 9, where God had said the same words to Joshua. And he continued with the promise, For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. The solemn warning of chapter 7 that God would no longer be with them was rescinded and the people moved on under the authority of God. It was time to restart. God says, See, I have given into your hand the king of Ai and his people, his city and his land. Note that it's past tense. The battle had already been won, but Joshua and the Israelites had to follow the instructions of God to complete the task. So my first takeaway point is that when we sin and stumble in our Christian life, just as Israel had done, we must come to God, repent of our sins, know his forgiveness. Then we will be able to move on and continue our walk in him. Sin is serious and has consequences. It must be dealt with decisively. But remember that first pillar of stones constructed after the crossing of the Jordan in chapter 4. It is a clear reminder that if we have trusted in the Lord Jesus as our Saviour, we have been saved. That is absolutely certain. As Isaiah wrote, even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. The first point tonight is to remember that when we fail, we must repent and move on with God. Let's get back to the conquest of AI. This was the second barrier preventing them from getting into the heart of the land of Canaan and establishing God's law. To inherit the land, the people of Israel must be obedient to God. This battle was going to be different to Jericho. Now God is just as much in control at Ai as he had been at Jericho, but Jericho was a complete miracle. After all, the people had only marched around the walls, shouted and blown their trumpets. The walls fell down supernaturally and it was the ark at the centre which emphasised that, that, was, that it was God who had done it. AI, on the other hand, involved a military strategy of lure and ambush and the Israelites had to work for it. The first time they went to AI in their own strength, the second time they were going under the authority of God. Here's a summary of what they were to do. All of the fighting men were to go with Joshua, not just a select group. The king of Ai, his people, his city and his land had been given to Joshua by God, but it had to be devoted to the Lord. They had to be struck down and destroyed. But this time, they could, however, keep Ai's spoil and livestock as plunder for themselves. If only Achan had waited for that. 
It was to be an ambush. It appears that 25,000 men were stationed to the north of Ai as the main force. 5,000 lay as a rear guard ambush to the west between Bethel and Ai. The king of Ai saw the main camp and believed they would be easily defeated, just like they had been in the last battle. So he and all his men hurried and went out after them. The Israelites pretend to be defeated again and flee towards the wilderness, luring all the people away from their city. Not a man was left in Ai or Bethel. They left the city wide open. Their confidence was misplaced. The king of Ai did not know that there was an ambush behind the city that rose up, entered and captured the city. They set it on fire just as God had said. Now both the soldiers at the ambush and the larger attacking force turn and surround the king and his warriors, striking them down until none survived, just as God had instructed. 12,000 men and women in total. Joshua and his men take their plunder as God had allowed them, and the city was made a heap of ruins forever. So Israel followed God's commands and the victory was secured. But let's go over some of the detail of the conquest and see how we can apply the teaching. Firstly, the battle of Ai revealed those human desires of self-confidence and self-reliance. We all have those tendencies, don't we? We want to be in control and have the answers. Maybe the way we approach our own spiritual life is not a journey with God under his authority, but a checklist of doing good, ticking the boxes of church involvement and following tradition, fighting our little battles on our own. God wants us to walk under his authority and guidance, relying on him as we pass through life's temptations and battles. He wants to mould our character to be more like the character of Christ. Did you notice what Joshua raised up in his hand? A javelin. This served as a signal to his soldiers, but more importantly, it pointed to the fact that it was the Lord who was giving the city into Joshua's hand. God was the source of the victory. No doubt Joshua's mind went, would have gone back to another battle in Exodus chapter 17 when Joshua went, went out to fight the Amalekites. This time it was Moses who held aloft the staff of God until the battle was complete. Likewise, Joshua did not draw back the hand with which he stretched out the javelin until the battle at Ai was complete. Another thing to take note of is what happened to the king of Ai. He was brought alive to Joshua and then hanged on a tree. At sunset, they took his body down from the tree threw it at the entrance of the gate of the city and raised a great heap of stones over it. Deuteronomy 21 verses 22 and 23 say this, And if a man has committed a crime punishable by death, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him the same day, for the hanged man is cursed by God. 
You shall not defile your land that the Lord your God is giving you for an, an inheritance. This evening, we do not celebrate the curse of God that was placed on this wicked city and its king. But we do celebrate a man who, as in Galatians 3 verse 13, reminds us, became a curse for us on another tree. The Lord Jesus Christ suffered the shame of death on a cross and bore the punishment for our sins and we celebrate him this evening. Joshua's strategy at AI illustrates another truth of how Christ achieved victory over Satan at the cross. Something I had never thought of before but discovered while I was studying a commentary on this passage. Israel were returning to AI a second time because they had been beaten at their first visit. They begin to reenact their defeat once again. As they run away, they appear to be weak and ready to fail in their mission. The king and his people think they have the battle won and they're lured out of the city to their emphatic defeat. At Calvary's cross, Satan thought he'd won forever, but he soon found to his surprise that what looked like defeat was the divine strategy of God's final victory. As the hymn says, lifted up was he to die. It is finished was his cry. Now in heaven exalted high, hallelujah, what a saviour. So the second section teaches us that there is no room for our self-reliance. Our victory is only found in Christ. And thirdly, this story is about fulfilling God's plan. We now move on to consider the final section from verse 30. The barriers of Jericho and Ai have been removed. Joshua and the people are right at the centre of this wicked land of Canaan. It was time for them to fulfil the key objective of establishing God's law in the heart of this land. Let's look at verses 30 to 35 again. At that time, Joshua built an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel, on Mount Ebal. Just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the people of Israel, as it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of uncut stones, upon which no man has wielded an iron tool. <clears throat> and they offered on it burnt offerings to the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. And there in the presence of the people of Israel, he wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he had written. And all Israel, sojourner as well as native born, with their elders and officers and their judges, stood on opposite sides of the ark before the Levitical priests, who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, half of them in front of Mount Gerizim and half of them in front of Mount Ebal, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded at the first to bless the people of Israel. And afterward, he read all the words of the law, the blessing and the curse, according to all that is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses commanded that Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel and the woman and the little ones and the sojourners who lived among them. So we have in this passage an altar with burnt offerings and peace offerings, a copy of the law of Moses written 
on stones. We have the Ark of the Covenant. There's two mountains and all the people are present. They are divided into two groups, one group in front of each mountain. There is a blessing and a curse. So what was going on here and why were they doing this? Did you notice the recurring phrase in those verses, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded? In order to understand these verses, we need to go back some years before to the book of Deuteronomy and read in particular chapters 11 and 27, where God told Moses to give clear instructions to his successors about what they should do when they finally enter their inheritance. Deuteronomy 27, you shall set up large stones and plaster them with plaster, and you shall write on them all the words of the law on Mount Abel. There you shall build an altar to the Lord your God of uncut stones, and you shall offer burnt offerings on it to the Lord your God, and you shall sacrifice peace offerings. In Deuteronomy 11, God is saying to the people, if you obey my commands, I will bring blessing. But if you refuse to obey and turn your back on me and all that I have done to save you, if you run after other gods, then there will be a curse. So in Joshua 8, the people are acting out these truths found in Deuteronomy. They act them out in the natural amphitheatre at Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim with the Ark of the Covenant in the valley between. The Ark of the Covenant symbolised God's faithfulness and promises. It did, however, divide people into those who were accepted and blessed or those who were condemned and cursed. The altar allowed them to offer sacrifices for their sins and celebrate fellowship with God. And God's law recorded the covenant between God and his people. It was like a list of wedding vows. It was all about faithfulness, about our love for God and how we treat others. It challenged the horrible practices that went on in the land of Canaan, practices such as child sacrifice and all sorts of sexual sin. So this event is a dramatic visual aid so that the people would never forget this moment of dedication to God. I wonder what your first memories of life are. Some of my earliest memories are of Donegal. Every year it was the same, the never ending car journey with mum and dad, the Richard Claderman greatest hits cassette that was playing throughout. But when we arrived, it was fantastic. There was the Fort Royal Hotel, the par three course where I learned to play golf with dad, the Rathmullen beach with the, with the dens I had built with my mates. About three years ago, I returned to Rathmullen with Irma and the boys and all those memories flooded back. I even FaceTimed mum from the beach so she could see it again. I told the boys stories of wonderful holidays. I did not, however, listen to Richard Claderman again. I drew the line at that one. Places, people, sounds, smells, they bring memories back to us. Even stories about what our ancestors did in various places stick in our minds. 
As the people of Israel stood on this central ground of their inheritance, memories not only of Moses' instructions from Deuteronomy, but also memories of Abraham, the father of all nations, would have flooded back to them. This spot was close to Shechem. And we read in Genesis 12, verse 6, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. How incredible must it have been? They had just retraced the steps that Abraham had taken hundreds of years before. They had camped, marched and stood in the exact same places. Land that God promised Abraham he would give to his offspring. God is so faithful. This plan had started years ago and Joshua was fulfilling this part of God's plan. What an exciting and profound moment in their lives. Imagine how Joshua felt. He was standing on holy covenant ground, looking around at those who he had fought with. They had done it together. He had been strong and courageous under God's guidance. But there was much more left to be achieved and obedience to God would continue to be the key to success. Sadly, the people of Israel did forget these events. Time and again, they failed to keep God's commands and they turned away from his promises. But God remained faithful. The altar, the law, the priests and the ark were all shadows pointing towards a far greater reality. If we fast forward to the New Testament, we see the ultimate fulfilment of God's plan in the second and far greater Joshua, the Lord Jesus. Jesus is the only one who can radically transform lives. He starts on the inside dealing with the problem of sin and replaces our old instincts and habits with his Christ-like character. The reason Jesus can do this is because he fulfilled the righteous requirements of the law, the law that we cannot keep. It's because he gave his life as the sacrifice for our sins. It's because he defeated the curse of death and also defeated Satan at the cross. It's because he rose victorious from the grave and is now seated at the right hand of his Father in heaven. And he longs to bring blessing to each one of us. The cross is where true blessing can be found. Have you turned away from your sin? Have you decided to leave your self-reliance behind? Have you trusted in Jesus who promises you the most amazing inheritance you can ever know. And for the believer, this passage reminds us that we need to keep choosing Christ 
throughout life's journey. Don't try to do it alone. And if you do stumble, don't walk away from Christ. If each of us does follow Jesus, then another part of God's eternal plan will be fulfilled. Let's close our time uh, together with prayer. Let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, for uh, this passage in, in Joshua chapter 8. We realise that this uh, event in the life of the Israelites and in, jo and in Joshua's own life uh, was a massive event where they had uh, faced their first defeat uh, in the promised land and had had to repent and turn back uh, to you for help. Father, help us in our lives to uh, come to you uh, to repent of our sins and to trust you. And when we uh, make mistakes and when we fall in life, Lord, help us to uh, get back up and to come to you uh, for blessing again. Father, we thank you uh, that when they went back to AI the second time, uh, that they achieved so much because they did not rely on their own strength, but they turned uh, to you for, for the strength that they needed. We thank you for how um, the, the mission worked and that the, the army and the king were defeated. We thank you that at the cross, Jesus, uh, although uh, he looked weak and that as if he had lost the battle, was actually winning uh, the battle for us, that he defeated death and he defeated uh, Satan. We thank you that the Israelites were able to establish uh, your law at the centre of this land, Lord, that they were able to challenge the practices uh, of the Canaanite people uh, with your word, uh, with the commands that you had given. As they acted out uh, this event at Mount Ebal and Gerizim, they remembered what Moses uh, had uh, commanded them. And they also thought back to Abraham and how you had started the process so many years ago of, of blessing uh, this nation. We thank you that they came uh, to that point. But we realise that they walked away again um, and forgot what you had done for them. Help us uh, not to be like that. Father, help us uh, to trust you. Lord, if anyone does not know you as their saviour, help them to see in Jesus uh, the answer uh, where they find forgiveness of sins, where they find acceptance uh, with God and where you begin uh, to change their lives from the inside out. So we give you thanks for this passage and we pray uh, that you will bless it uh, to us and to our minds this week. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.